0: Complaining, grumbling, whining, those are three words that you don't want to be a part of, and I'm sure we can all think of a complainer that's in our life. Sometimes we hear the complaining, sometimes we do the complaining. Back in 2008, I was a soccer coach. Uh, We had a great team, had a great year. We actually won the championship game at the end of the season, but any coach will tell you, whenever you make kids run, those complainers will stick out like a sore thumb. And uh, there was one time, I was having our kids run, and then one of the kids said he couldn't run because his stomach hurt. Well, that's okay, because he learned something that day, is that complaining has a cost. And for him, the cost was he couldn't play in the game on game day. But complaining has a cost for us too in other areas of life. You know, if you're the complainer in the workplace, you're probably not gonna get that big promotion. Or if your relationship is built on complaints, might not last very long. Complaining has a cost, but I want to go a step further and ask, how do you lead a group of complainers? Because leadership also has a cost, and oftentimes it's not a cost that we want to pay. On the TV show The Office, there's the boss there, Michael Scott, and he was telling his employees about the complaint department. Then he pulls out a trash can and says, this is the complaint department. And as we continue to follow Moses and his leading God's chosen people out of Egypt and to the Promised Land, he goes through a lot. So much that a complaint department trash can doesn't sound like a bad idea here. But the way God leads him is something that we can definitely look at and apply to our lives. So let's jump right into it. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Then we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall hear the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? So Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. Well, and what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. And now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation, to the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared to them in a cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, And in the morning you will be filled with bread and you shall know that i am the lord your god so the israelites they went from slavery and bondage in egypt to freedom from serving pharaoh as god to serving the one true god from being aliens in a strange land to heading towards the promised land they went from hopelessness to having a hope for the grand future and when you have that hope it gives you an unexplainable joy and that's where we were with the israelites they had that joy But it didn't take long for it to wear off, being in the new place, and then having those hunger pains. Yet, the people, they grumbled again. So let me be clear when I'm talking about grumbling. I'm not just talking about groaning or disappointment. You know, the Bible's full of godly examples of how people say, Hey, I don't like how things are, God. I'm hurt. I'm scared. Will you please do something about this? And we see that a lot in Psalms. But this, this is not a humble cry for help. This is saying, God, I know how to do things better than you do. And this is a way of saying, you know what, this stinks, and I'm going to rebel against your heart, God. So that's where we are with the Israelites, and that's the difference. Everybody was complaining. It wasn't just a few people. It was the whole group. And looking at this, you might think that they have a good excuse for their whining. You know, they are in the wilderness. It's hard to buy. It's hard to find food there. And you think about how they got in this situation. Because God instructed them to bring their gold and silver when they left Egypt, because this was going to be for the tabernacle later on. But if it was me and you, we probably would have wanted to bring the, you know, food, water, clothes, all the essentials. But this was a test. This was to see if they were going to be able to depend on God and trust in him. And, you know, it begs the question, how do we know when something's a test from God? Or if it's a situation where we just shouldn't have got ourselves in in the first place? Well, in the case of the Israelites, they were physically being led by God in the pillar of cloud. And they were seeing all the things that he's done before. And you think if they say, you know what, he's done this for us in the past, he's provided for us, he's protected us, don't you think he can do that in the future? Well, you would think so, but the newness of being without food in a new location and having that pain of hunger in their stomachs, it was just the natural tendency to be pessimistic here and then start to grumble. And you know, I can kind of relate to this because for a long time I had this label. I was very irritable when I got hungry, and this is a case that some of you know as being hangry, which is hungry and angry put together. But I feel like that's not me anymore. I feel like I've grown up and I can control my emotions a little bit better and I don't get hangry anymore. But it's hard to shake that label. There was even one time we we are here at Central and we we're in staff meeting and it ran a little bit long and then one of the employees here was like, hey, I got one more thing I need to talk about. I know it's past 12. I'm sorry, Brian. And it singled me out, even though there was five other people in the room because I had that hangry title. But, There actually is some science behind it. So when you're hungry, it causes a shift in hormones and brain processes and your nervous system, which is kind of the same thing of what we see in sadness and fear and anger. And the reason we have emotions in the first place is to help keep our bodies stable. So when things are stable, everything's good, then you know, that's good. But then when things are not stable, then the brain sends out messages to the body and says, hey, something's not right and we need to figure this out. So this is what the Israelites were facing. They should have had faith that God was in control, and that he would provide. In fact, they did not, and they said, you know what, it would've been better to die of old age in Egypt, or even just to be slaves in Egypt over their current hunger. So looking back in the last chapter, they're complaining, it worked. They were at uh, Marah, and they needed water, so they complained, and then God had Moses throw that log into the water, and made the water from bitter to sweet, and they were able to drink good water. So they think, hmm. The complaining worked then. Why not give it a try now? They wanted to get some food. It's time to complain. The problem was is that it was a serious breach of faith to complain against God. And Moses said it perfect in verse number 8. He says, you're not complaining against us. You're not complaining against Moses and Aaron, but you're complaining against God. And one thing we can know about God in this instance, and even in our own lives, is that he's faithful even when we're not. So how did this happen? Well, it's because complaining distorts the past. Complaining, it distorts the past. We can be so caught up in how things are that we can lose the big picture. So this just wasn't a few people here who were unhappy. Like we said, this was the whole group. And the Israelites, they saw themselves, they saw their families, they even saw their livestock grow thinner and thinner, and they looked around and they said, you know what? Something dramatic needs to happen to reverse all this, or else we are all going to die. So we need some food. They go as far to say, you know what? It would have been better to die from the plagues in Egypt than to be hungry right now and die of starvation. So if you don't like complainers, you're really not going to like complainers that exaggerate. Now, did they want to die in Egypt? No. Did they want to die here in the wilderness right now? No. But they really just wanted some food, and it was making them think some crazy thoughts. So why go through all this trouble anyways? I mean, it's, it's a good point. Why go through all the plagues of Egypt, go through the Red Sea, get to this place just to die of hunger? This wasn't the first time that they would make the if only we died in Egypt argument, and it wasn't going to be the last. So they've been spared from all the dangerous things that happened in Egypt, and they were arguing, hey, you know what, maybe we would have been better from dying from a plague or from drowning. So they remember the great food in Egypt, and you know what, it doesn't sound so bad to me either. If Joy told me that we're going to have meat and bread for dinner, I mean, sign me up, It sounds good for me. But they remember that the food was free, but they forget the fact that they weren't free. And not only were they slaves, but they were also victims of genocide. So you have slavery and genocide, and yet they missed the meat that was on the menu. This is crazy. So God hears the complaint, and he meets the hunger need. Not just food, but bread from heaven. So I don't think we know the exact taste. The Bible does describe it a little bit, but we can assume that it was good. And I know later on in Numbers chapter 11, they get tired of it, but I think that's because they had it every single day for 40 years. Um, And I think we would get tired, too, of having our same favorite meal every single day for 40 years. Um, But God was teaching them through this concept of supplying bread is that he was their ultimate provider. And this great gift also requires a test of their faith. You see, these people knew all about how agriculture worked. So they knew that in order to grow food or to have food, you needed time and you needed hard work. And once the food grew, grew and it was ready to harvest, you were to harvest all that you could because there might be a time when you can't harvest food. So God was asking them to go against their natural tendency to gather all the food that they could. And again, this was an opportunity just to to depend on God and to trust in Him and that He was gonna provide for them again and again, day and a day. This great gift involved a test and it required faith. You see, these people knew all about agriculture. They knew how it worked. If you wanted food, you needed a lot of time and you needed hard work. And when it was time to harvest, you need to harvest all that you could because there might be a time when there was no chance to harvest. So God was asking them to go against their natural tendency to harvest all the food that they can. This was an opportunity for them to just depend on God and trust in him. And sometimes we need to step out on faith too and and have an opportunity for God to provide. And kind of like Abraham, when him and Isaac were heading up and about to do the sacrifice, Isaac said, where's the sacrifice? And he says, God's going to provide it. So Moses and Aaron remind the people, hey, you know that this is the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. And we look at that and we think, "Uh, yeah, obviously. But this was an important reminder for them. Because back then, there was tons of different gods. There was tons of different cultures and different ways of thinking. And it was important for them to know that there was only one true God. And that's Yahweh. It was him, not any other force or factor or God that brought them out of Egypt. So this food for them should have reminded them who he is and how he was going to provide for them in the future. You know, it's a shame that such a great miracle of this raining bread from heaven happened because of complaining. And I wonder how much better it would have been if the Israelites would have saw the need, prayed fervently to God to provide, and it would have been, you know, that way. But that's not what they did. They grumbled, they complained, and God heard it, and he graciously responded. You know, he could have responded with something nasty since their attitude was nasty, But he didn't. It was tasty, it was nutritious, and it was sufficient food. God is good and his grace is sufficient even when I'm lacking faith. So he provided this manna for them. And there's people out there that say, you know what, this manna was not a miracle. It wasn't bread from heaven. And here's their explanation on that. They say what happened was, is that there was this plant lice that's out in the wilderness. And what they did, they went up the trees, they sucked the sap from the trees, and they let out this discharge. And this discharge was yummy-tasting manna. Doesn't sound good to me. Um, but I say no way to that. And there are several reasons why it was a miraculous thing here. Manna didn't appear until Moses said it would. It was not interrupted by the weather or the seasons for 40 years. There was enough to feed 2.5 million people every single day. There was twice as much on the sixth day. It spoiled if you tried to keep it. Other nations did not have it. Once the Israelites got to the edge of Canaan, it stopped. And then that portion that was in a special vessel before the Lord, it did not rot. So I'm sure the Israelites were so thankful that it wasn't plant lice secretions, but it was God providing it instead. So this next group of verses, verses 13 through 36, for time's sake, just allow me to summarize what's going on here. So they they received this special bread from heaven, and they're given specific instructions on how much to gather. They say say, gather only what you need. Some listened and some didn't. So those that had too much and some was left over for the next day, it was filled with worms and it stunk. And then if any of it got left outside, all that would melt away. And then they were to collect double on the sixth day so that they didn't have to do any kind of work on the Sabbath day. So this bread that was left over overnight did not have worms in it and it did not stink. It was an opportunity for people to truly have their day of rest So if you wanted to gather the right amount, you would need to gather an omer of it. And an omer is a measurement that's about half a gallon. And then on the sixth day, you need to gather two omers, which is about a gallon, so that you didn't have to do any kind of work on the Sabbath. And just as a reminder, Sabbath means stoppage or to rest. And it just means uh, from the Old Covenant that there wasn't allowed to be any work of any kind. And uh, gathering food was the basic kind of work in the ancient world, so they definitely wouldn't be allowed to gather any manna. But people still couldn't figure out that these laws were meant to be followed. People would still get out there on the Sabbath day and look around and try to get a head start on the upcoming day. And God asked the question, how long? How long are you going to keep disobeying me? And then verse 31 gives us the name of this special bread and it's called manna. And they describe it like wafers and honey. So those wafers are kind of like thin cookies. Basically the sweetest things that they had back then are what they're using to describe it. So basically they're saying it's good stuff. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, it's undescribable in a sense. It's like something's so good, kind of like when you taste test something, and it's just so good, and you're like, oh, man, it's so good. Here, try this. Try this. It's so good. And the same goes when something's terrible, too. We just have this innate urge inside of us to want other people to experience this misery, too. Kind of reminds me of that Geico commercial with those raccoons. They're digging through the trash, and they're eating some of the trash, and it's like, oh, man, this is terrible. Try some. And the raccoon's like, I I don't want to try any of that. You just said it was terrible. And he's like, it's like mango chutney and burnt hair. Doesn't sound good. But manna was good, and it was delicious. They were to set aside some manna to look back and remember. And I think we all might have an item like that in our house, whether it's an antique that has a great story, maybe a family heirloom that's passed down from generation to generation, or it might be a sports memorabilia piece that's signed and it just means a whole lot to you. A couple of years ago on Easter I gave the kids that came a tea light candle and what I said I want you to put this in a place in your house where you'll see it and you'll remember of what Jesus did for us and that we need to let our light so shine before men so I don't know if any kid actually did that but I still have it on my dresser today and the manna was kind of like that tea light God wanted them to look back on it and remember of what he done and how he provided for them So manna was such an important item, too, that it was one of the three sacred items that got placed in the Ark of the Covenant. So let's continue reading from chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Repidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses, saying, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord?" And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your rod with with which you struck the river, and go. And behold, I stand before you there on the rock of Horeb where you will strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So God led them to a place where there was no drinkable water. And yet again, the events are going to be the test of Israel's faithfulness. So the people were at it again. They were grumbling. They were complaining. They were whining. First it was they're starving to death, and now I'm dying of thirst. The Israelites got heated enough for Moses to think that he was about to die. They thought that they were going to stone him. So Moses wanted God to do something, and he wanted him to do something quickly. So God's in charge here, and it's fortunate for those Israelites because God's solutions are bigger than our complaints. God's solutions, they're way bigger than our complaints. God was ready with a solution, as he always is. So using the staff, he wanted Moses to strike the rock so that it would yield water. It wasn't really the normal thing to get water from a place, but God needed to show these people that he was sovereign. He was in control of the whole situation. And he also wanted uh, Moses to bring some of the elders so that they can witness this revelation too. So Moses named the location of this water base at the uh, Mount Sinai Massa and Meribah. So Massa means testing, trial, temptation. And Meribah means protest, contention, quarrel, strife. And it just goes to show you what's going on inside Moses' mind and all that turmoil that he's experiencing. So Israel's unexcusable attitude becomes clear with Moses when they say, is the Lord with us or not? Is he among us or not? Basically saying, does God want us to become weaker and weaker while we sit here and die of thirst? I mean, this was... Crazy! God was sitting right there as the pillar of cloud, and they were taking a direct shot at him. It was basically like if there's this guy running a marathon, he's running, he's working hard, he's sweating, he's halfway there, he's at mile 13, and then somebody comes up to him and says, hey, do you intend on running this race today? What do you mean? I'm in the middle of doing it right now. Get lost. Or if a mother... She's working hard for her family, she's preparing a meal, she's getting everything ready for the meal, and then the father comes up and says, are you planning on cooking anything tonight? Which, fun fact, any man that has said that has not lived to tell the story. But this was a direct shot at God, this was a direct insult, and they were challenging God in a way that he could not ignore. And then they even bring up Egypt again. Enough, enough about Egypt. This is why God wanted them to keep that omer of manna back in chapter 16, verse number 33. It would help them and future generations to look back and see that God provided for them and know that he's going to provide for them now and he's going to provide for them in the future. So they're already complaining about this problem of no water because they have a remembering problem. So let me ask, do you have something in your house that is a reminder of God's provision for you? Let's take a look at this video and see how Mr. T does it well mr t good morning and hello again it's lovely to see you i really mean that thank you thankful to god for being here you know i'm looking at you with i don't know 10 million dollars worth of diamonds and gold and everything and then i'm looking at your shoes that are just a disaster now (laughs) you explain to me what's with these shoes all taped up looking tacky you see well to some people they might see this tacky but there's a message in these shoes you see Uh, these shoes keep me humble if uh you recall last time that we met i had these shoes they weren't in that bad of a shape you know but these shoes are handed down through my family my father wore them, my brothers warm and things like that so they keep me humble keep me and let me remember that i have a brother and sisters back in chicago not doing to where i got mother and father that i must take care of so you see, out in Hollywood, and especially all the money that I'm making now, it's so easy for me to get caught up in all these material stuff and forget where I'm coming from. So wherever I am be, whether I'm with a governor or a mayor or a reception or whatever, I look down at my shoes and let me know, hey, I can't get too carried away here. So it keeps me level. As I say, I want to keep my feet on the ground and my head toward heaven. So those shoes are something that Mr. T could look back on and remember. And the Israelites needed that omer of manna to look back on and remember. Why? Because they had a remembering problem. And God pities the fool who got a remembering problem. You see, they remembered the meat, but they forgot about the bricks. They thought about the food that they ate in Egypt, but they didn't realize that food that they ate was so that they can be nourished enough to do manual labor for Pharaoh. They longed to have the water, but they forgot about the shackles. They focused on the hot desert, that they forgot where God was leading them to. And they remembered the best of Egypt without remembering the worst of Egypt. And because of that, they were missing out on what God was doing for them right now. We see that Moses was scared for his life. He also has to be frustrated, too. I mean, Moses shows the cost that he pays in order to lead these people. And he isn't a perfect leader. We're not going to see that leader until later on in the Bible. But he does pay the cost of leadership. So things are tough for Moses, but it's about to get a little bit tougher. Let's continue reading in verse number 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Repidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand became heavy. So they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So Joshua appears here for the first time, and he's got some skills and strategy for battle. And the Israelites were alerted early about this attack from the Amalekites. So normally, the way that the Amalekites worked is that they domesticated the camel, and because of its swiftness, I don't really think of a camel being swift, but because of its swiftness, they were able to do surprise attacks um, for battle. That wasn't the case for this one, because they were alerted a day early, so they had a day to prepare. So the next day when the battle began, Joshua leading the Israelite army on the battleground. Then you have Moses and Aaron and Hur at the top of the hill. And Joshua and Aaron and Hur play an important part in this passage. And it says a message to us as the reader. So we're all wired differently. Some of us like to have people around us to help us out. And others of us like to do things on our own. And I totally get that. Uh, You know when you do something on your own, you know that it's going to get done. You know the quality of the product that's going to be But whatever side you favor, there's one important thing you should know is that good leaders can't do it alone. They just can't. Good leaders cannot do it alone. Successful people will tell you, man, I could not have done it without this person. Or even when someone's accepting an award, they'll say, I want to thank these people for helping me. I couldn't have done it without them. And Moses couldn't do it alone either. So God correlated the position of the staff with the fortune of the army. If Moses were to keep that staff held up high, Israelites would prevail, but if it would go down low when his hands get heavy, then the Amalekites would be winning at that point. So God showed that he was in control by the way he was doing this, and he shows that he is sovereign because of the way that the rod was in the midst of battle. So when Moses became tired, he couldn't keep his hands up anymore, and it was not because he was old or he just, you know, wasn't in good shape. We know that when he died, he died a strong man. It's just because humans indefinitely cannot keep their hands above their head so his arms grew tired he had to lower it every now and then and that's where Aaron and her come in they came up they decided to help him out they cradled his elbows put it put it allow him to sit on a stone so that he was a little bit lower that their arms could be at a comfortable height and they were able to keep his hands up and then we get to verse number 13 and we see that these unlikely fighters with a given a day's notice actually won Which goes to show you that anything is possible when God's on our side. And nothing is ever unlikely. So there's two enemies that we talked about today. We talked about the Amalekites and the Israelites themselves. Both were really tough situations for Moses to lead through. And what do you do when you're in the midst of leading and you're paying that cost of leadership? Well, we need to figure out what lesson that we're learning. We need to clarify that lesson. Moses was doing a lot for a grumbling people but he kept doing the hard thing of leading and having those hard conversations and setting up regulations and making those battle plans. You know, sometimes we can give the Israelites a pretty hard time of everything that went on in the desert. But in these moments, it was less about their complaining and more about what they were forgetting. If God hadn't been able to work this incredible plan to get them out of Egypt, you would think that they would understand that God was going to be there and God was going to provide for them as they were going to this land that was promised but they focused on what they used to have and they missed out on what God was doing for them right now. I mean think about it, that might be true for you too. You might be really upset about something that's going on in your life. It's not working out the way that it thought it might be. And uh, you know, what can we be learning right now? What are we thankful for right now? And oftentimes there was a phrase I used when I was trying to help people out. I would say, hey you know what? It could be worse. And you know what, that might help a little bit, but kind of still leaves you feeling crummy. What I wish I would have said was, you know what, that, that might stink, but We are still just so blessed, and God has blessed us so much. We can miss the good when we only see the bad. And God, he was testing these people through these Exodus events. We see him leading these people through all these different ways without really explaining why. We see him sending potentially destructive enemies their way. Even after they left Egypt, he was leading them through a body of water, and then he was bringing them to places that lacked the necessities of life. So all of these challenges were a part of a plan to develop them and Moses as their human leader. So after knowing the story, I have the thought, you know, why not just let them know what's going on? He said, hey guys, you know what? I'm bringing you out of Egypt. Things are going to be really tough. Uh, there's going to be times when there's no food, there's no water, but don't worry, I'll provide. Just don't worry about it. And same goes with our lives. Why not? Why doesn't God just let us know what's happening all these tough situations we go through? But that would have gone counter to his plan because he wanted to develop these, uh, a willingness in these people to depend on Him and to trust Him and to have that faith. And, you know, the same goes for me. And these hard times, there are opportunities for us to trust God and have that faith. And I know, I know it's challenging. Moses had his share of challenges, too. And life's most defining moments are normally painful experiences. So when life gets tough, we must persevere. And to persevere, we need a vision for the future that's bigger than our present circumstances. So was this the end of the Israelites' trials? Was it all just smooth sailings from here? We'll get into that a little bit more next week. But for those of us that know the story, we know that it was not easy on Moses. And in fact, to map out the journey, it should have taken a journey from Egypt all the way to Canaan, should have taken about 11 days. But because of their actions and their faithlessness, it took them a whopping 40 years. That's quite the difference. We do see good things here, though. We see Moses not giving up. He goes to God for help, and he doesn't quit. And Moses leads when there's grumbling about the food. He leads when there's quarreling over water, and he leads in the midst of battle. And times like these require consistency. It's not time to just pull back and, you know, get complacent or comfortable and say that this is somebody else's problem. There is a cost to pay of leadership, and one of the biggest costs that leaders pay is that cost of comfort. Because when you're leading well, you often don't get to lead comfortably. You know, there's messiness, there's awkwardness, there's conflict, there's difficulty. All these things that we just have to push through. It's a noble cause, but it's not easy. So what does it cost us? What is it costing you? How do you lead? You might not see yourself as a leader, but whether you know it or not, oftentimes we're leading somebody. And wherever we are, we can find opportunities to lead through physical needs, spiritual needs, and complaints. We can lead when there's complaints amongst our people, and we can lead when we're facing the enemy. And what we need and what God gives us is hope. And hope pays any cost. It pays the cost of the manna. It pays the cost of that need for water. It pays the cost for the need of good friends around us in battle. So whether the problems are among us or among other people, hope is worth it and it pays any cost. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful just to see this example of you being their provider, whether they were thankful for it or not. And we're just thankful so so much for you being our provider as well. We pray that you would strengthen our faith. Just allow us to depend on you. And uh, we saw that you were in control through this Exodus event. Just allow us to be reminded that you're in control today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.